how to fall in love without losing yourself, without forsaking yourself as a masculine or feminine being, without succumbing to the deep entrapments of egoic attachment, to find a home in another without locking yourself in, to walk the journey with another without asking them to carry you, to love one so deeply it was as if their life was yours and yours theirs. You can only ever be where you are right now. What is your podcast? It's the major investment in your life, right? The journey will always be your journey. Yo, what's good, my friends? It's Adam here, and welcome to the Bulldojo Podcast. We're at the home of self-cultivation, a place where we can just dive into social dynamics, where we can understand how best to interact with other human beings and learn about ourselves in relation to others. If you have any questions or personal stories that you would like to get my feedback on, you can always send them through at bowldojo.com, B-O-W-L-D-O-J-O.com, any one of the contact forms there. Or you can also reach out to me on social media, on Instagram at uitang one double oi tang one or on facebook which is just facebook the adam ui you guys can find all the links down below to that also if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter the bowl sip you can do so over at bowldojo.com just a quick sip of social dynamics little cheeky article it's free every single week comes out on fridays australian time and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that i think you guys need to know about that will not get censored over on social media. If you'd like to book one-on-one coaching sessions, create action plans, and overcome limiting beliefs to help you move forward in your life across any area of the temple, whether it be purpose, physical, mental, or social development, you can reach all of that through bowldojo.com. Send me an email there if you're not quite sure, but you can check out the Bowl Coaching Memberships or just once-off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the guided meditation, Eternal Energy, on bowldojo.com. A nice five-track, eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash Adam Ui, A-D-A-M-O-O-I, or also directly on boldojo.com in the Boldojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at The Bowl. So thank you very much. Without further ado... Let's dive into today's show. Yes, sir. To love one so deeply that you'd rather not live without them. That's probably the main thesis core of today's session. I want to unpack this idea that as human beings, we seem to have this almost predetermined, preset program within us to fall into such depths of love that we'd rather not live in this world without that person anymore. Yet we know that these feelings don't last forever. Anyone who's lived through any modicum of life beyond their high school years and has had a couple of loves like this, you realize that while you're in it, it feels like that's the only thing that your world could possibly be made up of. But then when you come out of it, it's almost as if you were drunk. It's like, how could I, how could I have ever placed that person so highly on my status, my ladder of life, that I was willing to give up my own life if I wasn't with them? I want to unpack this a little bit more later on, but before we do, I'd like to begin today with a story. As the buildings burned around us, a tear rolled down her face, and I said, you'll always have a part of me inside of you, never to keep, but always to hold. 
for as long as we are in this world together. I'll always be a part of you. Tears continued to stream down her face. And gently, I kissed her delicate lips. Now some of you may recall where that story comes from. And it's not from a movie, it's not from a book, but it's from my bowl sip weekly email articles. About three to four months ago, I had a dream state experience one night and wrote that down in one of the articles. I don't remember which one it was, but one of you was severely touched by it and wanted me to make a deeper explanation of it. And I thought today would be, as we're going to be talking about deep love and painful love and falling in love without losing yourself. I thought today would be a a tremendous session to begin with that story. Now, that's the end of the story, and I just want to regress now. You know, as some movies do, they start with the end of the beginning. So I want to give you guys the context on how that all came to be. It's actually not very long. It's actually a very, very short experience, which is why it's so powerful. So prior to me and this beautiful woman standing standing there, which you guys don't even know where we're standing, just rewind back probably about half an hour, if that, maybe 20 minutes before that. You have to imagine a Normandy landing situation, a dark, dark beach, dark black clouds, and hundreds of thousands of us rising up out of the ocean to storm this beach. We don't have guns, we don't have swords. All we know is that we have to charge up this beach and we were going to be met by the same number of state police. I have no idea why we're at war with the police. I don't know what the objective is. There's no explanation. I just arrive and I, the, the dream experience starts here. So we're, we're coming up out of the ocean. As I look to my left, as I'm running up this beach, all I can see for miles and kilometers and kilometers is just other warriors, other soldiers yelling, screaming, running all together, just masses of us of this beach. We collide at the top of the sand dunes with the police. I somehow avoid getting smacked. I avoid getting into a, ma- a major confrontation. I- I'm dodging. I'm weaving around. I'm jumping around people. It's absolute chaos. People are just dropping like flies, falling to the ground, getting into absolute scraps and grapples. And in front of us is an industrial complex. There are a lot of very tall skyscrapers, uh, a lot of tall high school standard buildings. There's some high-tech buildings. There's some industrial factory-looking buildings. But, I mean, this is the darkness of night and the buildings are just lit up like after-office hours type lights. Some floodlights here and there, but not much really. It's pretty dark. And we find ourselves just like ants infiltrating this industrial complex. And I'm, cr- I'm climbing up stairways. I'm trying to break into buildings, seeing which doors are open. No idea why. And then all of a sudden, fires break out. There's fires in the courtyards. There's, there's people yelling. There's people screaming. Probably people dying everywhere. I don't know. But there's just a lot of chaos. And then I find myself in one of these courtyards and there are bins on fire and the light emanating from these fired bins is dancing up along the industrial walls. And that's where I find myself standing with this most beautiful woman, this short blonde hair, crystal blue eyes, little freckles under her eyelids. I can still see it to this day and this experience happened three to four months ago. And as I'm standing there in the courtyard looking down to her. She's sobbing. She's standing off to my left. She's got her hands crossed in front of her. I've never met her before. 
We've never seen each other before. Yet, it feels like we've always known each other. It feels like our lives, our spirits are interwoven like threads, threads of a great weaving. Completely inseparable. My heart pounds so intensely knowing that this is going to end very soon. We haven't even spoken a word together. Yet I love her. And she loves me. Our love is so painful. I still feel the blood and the heat rushing through my body. You could say that I was tentatively lucid at this point because I was aware that while maybe not saying, oh, look, I'm in a dream right now, I was aware that this is going to end, that there was a pressing time stipulation on this experience. And when the tear rolled down her cheek, that's when I went to reassure her. That you'll always have a part of me inside of you. As if to say, no matter what happens after this dream, I'll always be inside of you. And you'll always be inside of me. It was as if the copy of myself within this dream state experience was reassuring himself or her both that this has meaning beyond the dream state itself. Beyond the dream state itself, this will perpetuate and continue and that these lessons and this experience with her will get taken out into the current waking reality. That the love experience between her and I, so powerful, so palpable, that it stays with me for life now. We haven't gotten to the bottom of what dream state experiences are. You know, could it just be a delusional self-rationalization and reinforcement of self-comfort? Creating copies of ideals, creating copies of and figments of what one subconscious would desire out of his loving relationships in the current waking reality. Maybe, maybe the opposite to that would be a completely different alternate reality in which that she is a, in quotes, real person. That what we had there was real at some time, in some place, in some way. Completely unfathomable, incomprehensible, inconceivable to what this current waking state Adam would even dare to imagine. Maybe. I don't know. That's the answer there. I don't know. But I was there in that dream experiencing such intensity of love that... You know, not only was she crying, but I'm quite sure I was crying as well. But there was peace. There was such peace. It's, there's a bit of a danger in me starting the podcast with this story because I feel like I've already gone to the bottom of the ocean of you guys. I'm already feeling very, very emotional and very, very uh, sunken. Very sunken with where we are in this place right now. So let me try and just take a moment to get a sip of water and we'll recalibrate to what we actually probably were going to talk about today. <laughs> oh. How to fall in love without losing yourself. Last week, I was working with a client who's on the pendulum of rebound relationship. And it's quite fascinating to me. Always has been fascinating to me how people can operate on a pendulum of rebound. 
you know, his, his, uh, to, to paint this out a little bit more, I won't go into the absolute depths of the story, but just to loosely paint it, he was with the woman for two and a half years. He wasn't that enthused with getting into the relationship with her, but over time he found himself learning to love her, hmm. learning to love her. And he said he genuinely did fall in love with her later stage in the relationship, but roughly around the 1.5 year mark is when he started to find out that maybe this woman's not for me. Maybe this is not the life I want to live and to build with her. But he continued to stay in the relationship for another year beyond that, even though he wasn't happy. Saying that there was nothing inherently wrong with her, it was it was him. He was able to acknowledge this. Finally, towards the end, she could sense this. She decided to break up with him. And he experienced this rubber band-like effect, this rubber band-like rebound effect, not only in the physical, or the physicality of wanting to stay with her, but psychologically to not want to lose her. You know, we're talking about a place of comfort and safety here. To fall in love without losing yourself. What does that even mean? I want to keep coming back to this title. Because to lose oneself in trade of gaining deep love. We've got many ideas of egoic attachment to unpack here. Staying on that guy's story, I'm realizing today could be very tangenty, so I'll try my best to stay on topic here. He had lost himself. He had lost himself, lost his path, lost his journey. We spent most of the session working on his concept of what it is he is doing when he wakes up in the morning, why he wakes up in the morning. To what end, to what effect would he like his life to have meaning to? Big questions. Big questions, big questions he's never really asked before, things he's never worked through before, struggled a lot, as everyone does, having not engineered internally in this way before. So he's got his work to do. And shout out to him if he's listening. And for those of you who are not there as well. We could start very tactically here. We could start very tactically here. But, you know, the the end or the too long, the TLDR, the too long didn't read <laughs> version of this podcast is to always maintain your purpose in life. To always maintain your heading, your course. To know that to build a home with another is not ever to lock yourself in. You must always leave a door out. A door out for both of you because the house in and of itself is purely an illusion. The boat that you two journey down the river with is only an illusion that you two are journeying in the same boat. But here comes this... Here comes this fooling of oneself, this delusion, this willful imagination that we are in the same boat, that we are in the one house. It's quite fascinating that human beings will willfully let go of their sense of autonomy, self, journey, path, purpose, in trade of deep love, of security. So what are we really talking about there? Is it security? Uh, Sorry, is it deep love? Do they make the trade for deep love? Well, that's what they tell themselves, isn't it? You stop working on yourself. You stop doing all the things that made you you prior to coming to this person. You... Take a rest on the mountain because a peach fell down the middle. And you say that it's because we're creating a new life together. We're creating us together. It's we together. It's us for life. And even just the reinforcement of that concept intensifies the love. Does it though? Does it intensify the love? 
or are we mistaking an intensification of attachment for love? To love one so deeply that you'd rather not be living at all if they weren't. To love one so deeply that if they were not living, you'd rather not. This concept, please take a moment to think about this, my friends. How many of you have been in relationships in which that you genuinely believed and said to yourself, I cannot imagine a life, I cannot imagine my existence without this person? And how real that felt. I've had that three times in my life. Being 28 years old now, there are three women that I've had that malaise, or shall we call it a dream? Shall we call it a malaise, a dream? Shall we call it an illusion? Shall we call it a hoodwinking? Shall we call it a veil, a veil of such attachment that you would forsake your journey in life if this person was all of a sudden taken away? You, know, you you go through these visualizations. How many of you been through this? Where you go through the visualization when you're deeply, madly, truly in love with this person and you imagine them dying and you torture yourself with that just for a moment to feel those emotions, to feel that clenching of the heart, that it's like mountains in your heart, the weight, the depth to imagine that your most treasured person in this world is no longer here anymore whether it's because they're hit by a bus, diagnosed with a incurable cancer or illness, raped, murder raped, parachute didn't pull, whatever it may have been, they're not here anymore. To go through these experiences, you know it's, it's self-torture. It's self-inflicted torture when you go through this, because you, but you get to feel a glimpse of what that intensity of pain might be. You can do that as well with just non-sexually polarized relationships. Friends, family, particularly family members. Think about your mom, think about your dad, if they are still around right now and you have a close relationship with them, a deeply attached emotional relationship with them, to imagine their depth, their death, the depth of their death. It stings and it hurts a lot. So why do it? What do you get from it? Is it a reference that you're alive? Is that why we trade love, a deep love? And we're going to start to work through this podcast to understand what the real trade being made is when we talk about love, what really is love. Now that I've brought you all to that place of understanding what I mean when I say the losing of oneself. I said before, the forsaking. And I said before as well, the too long didn't read. If one was never to forsake themselves or to lose themselves, could they love as deeply as what we have just described? It seems to be almost mutually exclusive. That, and I feel like there are a lot of people who ride or die with the monogamous relationships. The ones that cannot foresee a way of living that would not include an exclusive partner. I have several girlfriends that not not currently in sexual relationships, but girls that are friends that are serial monogamous. They cannot exist without a relationship. There's one girl that I know that ever since I dated her in high school, and it's been like a decade since then, has not has scarcely spent a day 
outside of monogamous relationships, just from one to the next. Or if when one monogamous relationship ended, right back out there looking for the next one, you know? Getting back there on the monogamy of things. People who believe deeply in monogamy, a lot of the times will resound to you that part of the reason for it is because you cannot truly care for someone and you cannot deeply care for someone as deeply as you possibly could without being in that pair-bonded, life-bonded environment. Psychological environment, social environment, in which that you give your all to someone else all day, every day. And that if not, if it doesn't even have a contract of that this will be for life, aka marriage, which is an interesting contract to me, considering that the divorce rate is roughly sitting around 50%. The average marriage lasts anywhere between, uh, I think it's eight years. Eight years is the average length of a marriage in the US, I believe. The last time I checked, anyway. Interesting concept. But even if you don't have that contract, and it's just that we're at this stage, we believe that we are the only ones for each other. There are many who believe that you can only experience such the true depths of love, true depths of love in that space. You can only do that in that space. And this is where I pose the question of, is that really love that you're describing there? Or is what you're describing there some amalgamation of intensified attachment that we mistake what love is for attachment, the feelings of attachment? When I described to you guys before, Imagine your most treasured person, beloved in the world, all of a sudden being hit by a bus and you get that mountain in the heart. You feel this over-intensifying, overcoming, overwhelming sense of emotional pain. If you were to really put yourself in that place, go to that place, is what you're feeling there a product of deep love? Or is what you're feeling there a product of deep attachment? I think it's the latter. I do not believe that you need to exist in an exclusive monogamous relationship in order to truly experience the full depths of love. I believe that all you need to experience the true depths of love is this moment. Having cleansed yourself of egoic attachments, negative self-perceptions, limiting beliefs, the paper walls of your life, of your mind, you can access the truth of now. And by accessing the truth of now, you can communicate what true love is, a reflection An emptiness. An emptiness that holds wholeness. A wholeness that knows emptiness. To become so integral to someone's living and breathing, it was as if they were your own. The ecstasy of love. Having finished penetrating her, feeling her, 
her feeling you inside of you. You feeling her inside of you. It's interweaving these snakes eating each other. Two snakes consuming each other eternally, endlessly. Take that visual. Hard it is to define where one snake ends and where one begins. Such is the nature of true love. Such is the nature of true love to know where it begins and where it ends when accessed. Throughout the last seven to eight years or so, I've been cultivating this to experience the maximal depth of love in a moment, to clear out and delete the idea of Adam in a moment, into this moment with the person in front of me so as to no longer recognize a person in front of me. It's no more Adam. It's no more Jenna. There's only now. When you access that kind of love, what I believe to be true love, deep love, there is no pain. At the beginning of this podcast, when I mentioned deep pain and deeply painful love, deep pain, deep love, deeply painful love, I believe the only pain that needs to accompany love is the one that comes with attachment. The pain is attachment. The only reason why getting so interconnected with someone that your entire perception of life is based on them, your entire routine of life is based on them. As human beings, we are not equipped psychologically to live as we do. None of us have had the time for our brains and DNA to evolve to social media first off, to living amongst millions of people. As Dunbar says, the Dunbar number, human beings are roughly equipped to dive and to interrelate with anywhere between 100 to 150 people. In small tribes, knowing everyone's face, facial recognition, that goes back ancestrally. You know that person's fathers, you know those fathers' fathers and those grandfathers' fathers. We have such a deep, tight connection to each other. Deep trust, deep bonds. Live and breathe together. Survive together. Hunt this animal. Gather this berry. Sleep under the stars. This is what we do together. That's what we're equipped to do as human beings. It's amazing that I can stand here in front of a podcast mic and not lose my mind. It's incredible that you can watch this on your device, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and not lose your mind. But the only reason why we don't lose our minds is because our minds are probably the most adaptable of all. Our minds are so liquid and plastic, so fluid, that we can rationalize, reinterpret stimulus and feedback of this world to make sense where sense is nowhere really to be found. And I believe it was Neil deGrasse Tyson who once said, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. It is us who make sense of the universe. And that sense is very fragile. If you can hold that concept, and now think about how we intertwine that with love, 
how we make sense of love. I think it is rudimentary. As rudimentary as it is, though, to believe that in order to love, one must go through pain. It's just so widely said, it's so widely, in quotes, understood, that one would take it as part and parcel. One would take it as a uh, simple walk down the beach, of course. Of course, if I'm going to get, spend the rest of my, or intend to spend the rest of my life with this woman, have kids with her, build a life, build a house, spend every waking day revolving parts, if not all of my life around her, that's what we talked about before. If Even if you can elevate beyond that, and we're trying to take the best version here, to maintain simultaneously your purpose in life, why you are living, why you are breathing, your mission, your journey, your path. And to not attach her to that, and for her to not attach you to hers, so you both still maintain your own journeys and paths in life, yet somehow, simultaneously, managed to create a family together, to create a life away from your paths that maybe supplicates, not the right word, I was going to say supplicates, that serves is probably the better word, to create lives, a life that serves, helps to serve your purpose and her purpose in life. If you could achieve that, that would definitely be, in my perspective, the best position one can find themselves in. It would avoid all of what I see with many clients on the daily, which is the forsaking of oneself, the losing of oneself, the breaking down of principles, the succumbing to deep echoic attachment in which that you no longer even know why you're living or breathing anymore. You don't even know why it is you need to wake up. You just go to the office, you punch your numbers, you sign out, you go home, you have dinner over. You know, that's your life. See your friends on the weekend every now and again. Go get the dog washed and shampooed at the dog parlor. Whatever your life entails, whatever you like to do. But you're no longer pushing or striving or looking to achieve an end game vision of where you would like to be by the time you're dead. The effect you would have liked to have had on the beings of this world by the time you're dead. That's gone. If it was ever there. But it was certainly something, certainly something that was forgotten. Lost upon you as you forsake yourself, lost yourself. I'm not sure how we got onto this tangent, but I want to rail back up this bamboo shoot to what I was going on, the main topic of, yeah, the the pain, the pain of attachment, I do not believe has to come with deep, truly, truly deep love. The pain of attachment does not have to come with truly deep love. You can love someone in this moment with no egoic attachment, with no egoic concept. I experience it regularly. It's what I strive for the most. Whether it's sexually polarized or unsexually polarized, it does not matter. Just the very ability to be able to delete yourself, to come into this present moment, to wipe off that veil of whoever you thought you were, to put away your conceptions of who that person is now, to breathe in, sit deeply within this moment, and to communicate and transfer love. That's big love. That's very big love. It's big in the sense of it's all-encompassing. It's undeniable, the effect, the glaze that it wraps you in. 
How can you not smile? How could you reject that? Why would you want to interfere that? Why would you want to interfere what I just described with a whole bunch of financial, social, political framework? Get that as human beings, it seems that that's where we are most liable to do. To take what should have been an organic relationship between you and another human being and to suffocate it, infect it, taint it with relationship structures, political structures, financial structures, codependent structures in which that I give you this, you give me that, a transaction, a transaction in psychology, in contractual psychology. Why would you want to do that? Now we're starting to dive into, my friends, why I mono, why monogamy is not something I've found myself interested in the last seven to eight years. Of the last seven to eight years, I've not been in a monogamous relationship. I lived all my first 21 years of life in all my sexual relationships through monogamy. It's the only way that I knew how. It was not until my final monogamous relationship at 21 in which that I found out that I've had three goes at this now. And that girl, shout out to Jay. Still love you if you listen to this. I still take a bull of you. Absolutely. But what I found out with her was that I understand myself enough now. At least to know that monogamy is just not for me. Because she was one of those girls one of those young women at the time, in which that I had desired nothing more than to not only take a bullet for her, but to take my own life if she was no longer living. She was of that importance to me. My concept of reality was so interwoven with her existence that I could not imagine my own without hers. We had that together, Absolutely. But over time, those feelings fade. As I said before, all things come and all things go. That drunken dream that I was once under of egoic attachment fades. My inherent love for her didn't fade, but my desire through living experience my desire for that attachment faded and I no longer desired to be in that relationship with her. We had a beautiful mutual separation, realizing that we were on two very different journeys and there were other things going on like in terms of our journeys that, of course, made it even more sense for us to want to split. But I think deeply at the core, it's that as I was on a path of self-realization and an awakening of that kind, that egoic attachment could no longer live. It could no longer perpetuate itself. And so after that, I endeavored to spend as much time as I could in open and free relationships, in an open style relationship that allows for freedom of human experience to learn as much about myself in relation to others, allowing others to learn about as much about me in relation to them, in relation to them to others. You know, this mutually joined connection of one person to the next what you're going to learn from this person on a physical, mental, spiritual, sexual connection. 
It's been seven to eight years now. That was when I was 21. So it's just, instead of having to keep saying that, let's just say it's been eight years since then. And not a single day has gone by where I've thought, no, today I think I want to go back to monogamy. Now let's unpack that for a little bit. Why? I said that I had spent, I had had three monogamous relationships, very serious relationships that spanned, well, the first one was only about three to four months, but we were very, very young. So that's when I was like 13. So three to four months when you're 13 feels like a very long time at that time of age. You know, I'm actually just sort of short, like just to take a quick side step, I would actually say that maybe that's not the case for kids anymore because of the, at least in this day and age, because life just moves so quickly now in terms of the state of life with the whole political health situation going on right now. You know, maybe kids are experiencing a hyper influx of experience and stimulus that maybe they wouldn't be able to relate to what I just said. But when I was 13 and in primary school, time went by so quick. I sorry, went by so slow, I should say. But for kids these days, I feel like maybe it goes by so quick just because they just don't know how to keep up with life right now. But I came from a different time. I was a 90s baby. And back in the day, I remember when year two felt like a long year. Year seven was its own year. You know, every year felt like this, the the journey around the sun was really a journey around the sun. It was not gone by in a moment. And so if you're in a relationship at that time, that relationship feels like it lasted a long time. I still feel that way to this day. So that was the first one, that was at 13, and then second one was at 15, 16, and that lasted about a year. And then the next one was at 2021, 20, that lasted almost two years. And I had relationships in between them, but none that were of that, I'll take a bullet for you. I'm going to allow for the deep-seated attachment, the tendrils of such attachment to interwove, interweave my existence with them. I've only done that three times in my life. And of, of course, except for the third and final, the first two, extreme pain when having to separate from those relationships. The only way, the only reason why there wasn't extreme pain separating from the third relationship when I had interwoven my existence with her was because I had been through a process of unweaving that before we had broken up. It wasn't as if the threads were already woven and then all of a sudden torn apart. You know, that's, and that is actually a beautiful visualization metaphor for why we go through so much pain, why you would go through so much pain, why anyone would go through so much pain during a breakup. It's as if the threads of your life had been so tightly woven together and now torn apart. That is effectively the pain that you're feeling. A breaking of reality. A separating of what you understand life to be. Because you drive to her house every Tuesday night. You sleep at her house. All your clothes are there. Your things are there. Her clothes are at your place. Everything. It's done. It's tight. Christmas at hers. Easter at your place. You know, it's all, it's all there. And don't even talk to me about it. Let's not get started if you've got kids. Let's not get started if you've got kids or if you built a house together or if you've got pets together, if you had investments together. 
That's a whole nother level of attachment. Very materialistic in that sense. And so, I know we're in a place in this podcast where you're probably thinking, this is, you're probably finding this might even be a little bit therapeutic for you. It's feeling quite therapeutic for me. But it's hard for us to finish points because this podcast feels like a podcast of a thousand threads. You know, normally these podcasts run like bamboo frameworks, like I like to say. We, we, we go down bamboo shoots, but we always come back up. In this podcast, I have no idea where one thread's leading to the next. But I will say this right now, and let's just continue with that since that's where we are. The reason for why I wanted to do today's podcast was because, well, first of all, let me say this. This past weekend, I've pretty much had my phone off. I pretty much switched my phone off past the beginning of Saturday morning. Didn't go on social media. Haven't been taking calls from anyone. Just caught up. I've, I've literally just been living as a human being, meditating naked outside, spending tons of time on the beach, in the water, in the salt water, moving my body breathing, hanging out with friends, eating properly. I mean, I always eat properly, but, you know, even more so just like without even distraction, you know, just no distraction eating, just focused purely on the eating itself, just living as a human being. That's what I've been doing these past two days and getting back to just doing stuff that I have not done in a long time. Like just catching up with friends is a luxury for me. Generally speaking, I'm working 24-7, apart from the hours that I'm sleeping. If I'm not working, I'm learning. And so just to take a moment for a second is what I did this last weekend. And something that I used to do a lot, used to have the time for, don't have, have not had the time for a long time though, is to watch some anime. Anime has been, and see, some people find, some people use animes, documentaries, uh, movies particular, Netflix, TV shows as escapism. Never have I ever used it for escapism. I love reality. I use anime as a source of inspiration. If any of you follow my resources of wisdom on boldojo.com, many of the top uh, selections are anime-based. So my, one of my all-time favorite films of all time is Kimi no Naiwa, which is an uh, anime film. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Kimi no Naiwa, your name. One of the greatest films of all time. It's an animated film, anime film. I use anime as a reference of learning and always have. Never once have I used anime to drown out the sorrows of my life or to run away from the harsh realities of my life. It's actually quite the opposite. I use the harsh realities of anime to make my reality even harsher, to embrace what lessons could be learned from them and to implement them and challenge and test myself in this reality. The mindset. And so I got finally got down to watching some Hunter x Hunter. And I finally got to the episode and I... Listen, I want to say this right. Spoiler alert. If you are currently going through Hunter x Hunter and you've never seen it before, please skip the next section or just block your ears because I'm going to tell you what happens towards the end of the most pivotal scene. But there was a scene where... It's the scene... It's episode 135 because I wrote down the notes because I was journaling on it where Lord Merwin is dying and he finally falls in love or explains his love for Komugi, this little girl. And for those of you who are not, listen, it's not going to make any sense if you haven't seen the anime, but let me just say this. This guy who is the most evil of evil guys 
has a change of heart at the very final hour, but it completely took you out of nowhere. You, you could not have seen it coming. You didn't expect it. It just hits you like a bus. It was one of the greatest. There was, if there's any one thing that anime is very poor at, particularly shonen and action style anime, it's interweaving love storylines. Most anime don't even attempt to interweave love lines because they're just so bad at it. I don't know what what it is with the Japanese writers, but they're just very poor at using love in the scape of something that's very action or battle or war heavy, fighting heavy or death heavy. You know, you have to go... Anime is very separated in genres. So there are whole genres of anime that are made for love and those writers are very good at it. But but it just seems to be very hard to find an anime that can do it all, that can throw in and can weave in a proper love story amongst some apocalyptic shit. (laughs) It's uh, hard to find that. And so Hunter x Hunter has now elevated itself to legendary status for interweaving a love story when you didn't even think there was one. And it's basically just at the end, this big, the, the, the main evil dude finally, it's out of nowhere, but he always was falling in love with her, but you never realized. And it's as he's dying that he finally explains this to her and that we finally get in this glimpse of a moment, the love said between the two. After watching that yesterday, I just stopped everything. Like, I mean, I already stopped everything just to be able to go watch that. But I just, I turned it off. I just went and walked around outside, squatted deep in the grass, in the sun, and just tried to understand how I felt. And because there's this, when he's lying on the on the ground and he says to her, I have one final request or one final wish. And as if, is it if you could please hold my hand? And she holds his hand. And he asked her to stay by her side. He asked her to stay by his side. And she's like this lowly peasant girl. And he's this king of king. (laughs) Would you stay by my side? As he's dying. And she says, I'll always be by your side. We'll always be together. And, you know, it sounds... uh, corny but it's not if you watch the anime itself because there was no love up until this point there was none of this set up to this point it just gets dropped on you like a bomb it's just crazy how it just overloads your system and when i saw that it's like i just had to just dip out go into the moment get into nature and think about how do i what is this feeling i'm feeling i was overcome with emotion by watching this i wasn't crying but my heart felt so heavy. I felt so heavy, as you, your kids would say, deep in the feels. I was deep in an emotional jungle. Just falling as if I'd been airdropped out of a plane into this jungle of emotion. And I'm just trying to clasp for vines to try and find out why am I feeling what I'm feeling here. And then it just kind of dawned on me. Is this something, is this a reminder of what you once felt all those years ago. And that's when I had to really, that's when I grabbed this, that's when I grabbed this little red book, this little red book and this little pen, this little ballpoint pen. And I went to the beach. I sat on the beach and I journaled and I just wrote pages and pages about what I understood. I'm not going to read it all for you guys now, but 
I'll read you one part. As I'm sitting there on the beach, looking out into the distant horizon, the waves crashing, the girls playing in the water, a random client that I once had as a boot camp client many, many years ago recognized me, came up to me on the beach while I'm journaling. Shout out to you, Johnny. Hope you're doing great. I sat back down, continued journaling. With great love comes great pain. The emotion is so heavy, like a mountain in my heart. Is it worth it? What even is it? It comes and it goes, like all things. Is that intensity of attachment feeling something worth exposing to? It requires immense vulnerability. If I never loved again, loved a woman again, so deeply that I felt my life as hers, would I be okay? Yes. My love for the moment and all of life is everything. It is universal. Life is love. My love is life. Some of the musings from yesterday's journaling session on the beach goes on for pages, so I'm not going to continue. I'll stay here with you. So deep was that was that moment, so powerful and enriching and electrifying that moment that I just spent the rest of the afternoon trying to understand where this deeply rooted attachment of pain comes into a communication with our idea of love. And by the end of this journaling session here on the beach, after working through all of it, I returned back to the place where I always knew I came from. This moment. Now. Life is love. And my life is love. To hold someone before you as if for the first time, every time. I don't need to know your name. I don't need to know where you come from. I don't need to know what you hold. As long as you hold me as I hold you. Deeply interwoven in the fabric of time, we find ourselves in such a rare experience. But the rarity of me looking into your eyes now, that is love. And rare only it is for our brief experience as human beings. But as spiritual manifestations, we'll be joined eternally. This is where we come from. This is where I come from. I don't ask that any of you believe what I believe. I don't ask that. I wouldn't expect anyone listening to this to go, oh yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, I get that. You may logically, some of you resonate. Philosophically, psychologically, some of you may hear that. Feel comforted. Feel love yourself, maybe. Allow yourself to be loved, maybe, by the sounds of my words. But unless you were here with me in the room, and you could feel that transference of energy. I do not understand you would even absorb, do not even 
imagine you would absorb a percent of what was just communicated. They are only words. And words are but fingers pointing to the moon. The moon is the truth. As I'm here in this session with you, I hope to use the best fingers I can. I hope to be as effective and efficient with my fingers as I can, so as to point you towards your own moon. How to fall in love without losing yourself is a path for you all to find. What is love to you is a path for you to design. And a design of your own, it should be. A bastardized version of Hollywood, it should not be. A downloaded PDF into the files of your archived mind, it should not be. The journey to seeking what it is for you to love, to love deeply. And if so, it becomes one of deeply attached pain as well. And that whether you are consciously willing, humble enough to admit that your concept of love comes hand in hand with a stinging, searing level of entrenched pain. So be it. I will not judge. It is just the course of my life that I've chosen to detach from an egoic conceptualization of what love is. That love exists beyond my ego. Love exists above my ego. My ego does not exist within love itself. When I utilize my ego, I simultaneously realize that I am disconnecting from what I believe to be true love. Only when I can cease the perpetuation of who I believe Adam to be, can I communicate to you what true love is. Yosha. It seems that every day of my life, I experience true love, deep love, without pain. I meet so many new people every day. Not a day in my life goes by where I don't meet a new person. And it just so happens that every single time I seem to meet a new person, I seem to fall in love with them. Some sexually, some non-sexually. Let go of the predetermined idea in our shallow concept of love as that having must always be sexual. Love operates on a spectrum. Love can infiltrate all areas. But so it has been that since taking this stance on love, I find that I'm open to seeing it in all beings, communicating it to all beings. I said on a recent Instagram story, while working with a client, it was like a little fly-on-the-wall video piece from a client session I put on Instagram story of the strongest frame wins. That in a battle between light and dark, the one that has slightly weaker darkness will alchemize in the face of someone who's slightly stronger light. If your light is slightly stronger than they are dark, spend enough time with them. And the dark will alchemize into light. 
the strongest frame wins. Someone responded to that by saying, actually many of you responded to it uh, with some positivity, but one of you responded to it by saying, all right, so can we get you in an interview with Dan Andrews then? (laughs) The Premier of Victoria, who has been referred to as a dictator at this stage, and rightly so. Can we get you with Dan Andrews and see what happens there? And... And they said in a in a way that they actually wanted to see if that would happen. You know, if they if they put me in a room with Dan Andrews, who whose light, whose dark would win? And I thought that was very interesting. I thought that was a beautiful question because genuinely in my heart, when I responded to it, despite all the darkness that has infiltrated Dan Andrews, I still believe that I could alchemize him through love, through light, through my light, through the love. You just need to give me more time than a day. I would need to spend a few weeks, if not months, with him. Disconnected from social media, disconnected from politics, particularly his world of politics, I would need to take him into the mountains of Japan, just into a little mountainous region in Nagano, and we would visit the snow monkeys every day, and we would meditate in the forest, we would enlist in the, in the services of the village people, and we would hopefully find a hunter as well to take us hunting each day to cook our food out in the wild, to spend as much time out in the wild as possible, really, to fight with him, to fight with him, to grapple with him, to force him to submit, to force his ego to submit again and again, strangling him to the point of death until he tapped, of course, releasing, to show him that, to whittle away at his egoic concept, to give him a chance, to give him a chance at detaching from his ego, because I believe all the issues going on with Dan Andrews right now are a product of ego. They are just a product of deep attachment, entrapment of self-grandization, and that he is only acting from a place of believing what he feels is best. And whether that has a tyrannical, premeditated evilness to it, evilhood to it, I don't know. But at the end of the day, it's still a product of ego, and I know that ego cannot stand up in the face of love and cannot stand up in the face of light. Love and light will win, always. For all the evil people in this world that have existed, they haven't won yet, just by product of us being here. Hitler didn't win. And for all the bad guys that have existed, the bad guys still haven't won yet. So I have no reason to believe that love and light won't continue to win. Not while I'm breathing. So... So, I hope as you're listening to this, you'd be taking time to check in with your relationships, with your concept of love. I'm, I'm, I'm almost feeling like this should be the end of the podcast. Like, I feel like, you know, normally we go, I thought today was going to be like a two to four hour session. But I guess the, the main reason why I wanted to, to do today's session was just to unpack the idea that love doesn't have to come with pain. Love doesn't have to come with pain, and anyone who believes that it does has only made that decision for themselves, that it is in fact a decision. To give yourself fully to another does not have to come with a side dish of attachment. Routinely, night after night, I find myself with a new woman giving all of myself fully, wholly, expecting nothing in return, 
expecting nothing beyond that moment. And so I live peacefully, knowing that, and now it's over. I didn't own her. She didn't own me. I didn't own the emotions that we traded. They were never mine to keep. I gave. I gave fully. I let it be. These concepts, are they difficult for you to understand? Do you understand them theoretically but experientially have not practiced? Because when I describe them to you now, it feels like breathing. I don't know the other way of operating, but I do because I used to once be where a lot of my clients are and wish that it was all a transaction. It was all give and take. It was all wins on the board. Who's right, who's wrong? Who gave this much love? Who gave much up back? Who expects what? Who owes what? You know, this, this game, this attachment game, attachment games come with a scoreboard. How on earth would the egos keep tally if there was no scoreboard? So for me, a good test would be to have kids. Would be, kids is probably the, the test. To see if I could have kids with someone and maintain the same way that I feel now. I can't integrally stand here in front of you and say that I know what that would be like if I have not done it yet. So I will not say that. Yet my conjecture would be that if I were to have kids with someone, I'd be okay. Because as I've said for many years now, the reason why I feel that having a family or kids of my own is of such little importance to me is because I feel like you are all my kids. And I feel that all beings are one and the same. While you are all my kids, I surely am yours. Even for the darkest of those. Even for those that would see such tyranny imposed on this world. You're just a naughty kid. <laughs> you're just a naughty kid. That's okay. So I'm not entirely sure that having kids would change my perception of love. If not, but amplify it, maybe, maybe not. I'm sure from an evolutionary perspective, a biological perspective, there would be triggers turned on within my subconscious mind that would pose new challenges, that would pose new influx of impulse and of desire to act in a certain way. Yet, as I've found throughout my entire life, such is the nature of life as a human being. And yet, we all have the ability to transcend that. Everything I've described here in this podcast is essentially a transcendence of our inherent human condition. I am not one who buys into, we are our biology and that's it. I think we are our biology plus something special. What that something special is, I don't know what to call it. You want to call it God? I want to call it Tao? I don't want to call it Tao. You want to call it Source? Oneness? The Inception of Life? The Matrix? The Simulation? I don't know what to call it. 
but it appears to be and seems to be that human beings have a unique, at least from our perception, ability to transcend their own biology. Now, it's not, the majority do not act upon this ability, but I've not only learned from, but sourced, intended to spend as much as my time around the minority, the few, that do command an ability to transcend their human biology. For example, to on a very, very small level here, I just completed a three-day water fast. Consciously, willingly. That in and of itself is a transcendence of human biology. Both the conscious and subconscious mind reject it to actively stop the very process that would ensure my survival and my subsistence as a human being. To actively not do that for a prolonged period of time. You feel your biology kicking in during the process. Roughly around the 30 hour mark was when I got the first signals of, okay, shit, you need to eat. Like true hunger pangs, a tightness in my upper diaphragm and the upper part of my intestines. It's tightness and it's just like extreme levels of hunger signals. But because I've done several 72-hour water fasts before and I fast every day of my life and done countless 24 to 36-hour fasts, couldn't even tell you how many, I know this feeling. I know it very well. And I know that it, it comes and it goes. It's just my biology kicking me in, trying to keep me alive, but I can transcend that. Ah, there you go. So you work through it, breathe through it, walk through it, go to bed, wake up next morning, feel good, transcended. Something so special about human beings is that we, we are much more powerful than we believe. Powerful beyond measure. Fear not for our inadequacy, but fear for how powerful we could be is what I believe the condition of human beings truly in its innate state default. Limitless is our capacity. And I believe limitless is our capacity in not only to transcend our biology, but to also transcend our egoic attachments, to not succumb to a entrenchment of self-grandized idea that I am me, she is her, we are together forever. Anything that would interfere with that, pain. It's possible to love someone, to do away with what I just said, and to just love without any of that framework. I do it regularly, all day, every day. I'm continuing to work on it. I'm continuing to find it in places that I didn't think were possible. Particularly to love those who do not outwardly show that they would like to be loved. The desire not to be loved ourselves, but to for someone else, to us, to allow us to fully love them. Say that again. The desire not for us to be loved, but for someone else to allow us to fully love them. What I'm speaking towards there is something I described in a couple podcasts ago called Girls Who Make It Hard to Love Them. How much we want someone just to allow us to fully love them, to give all of ourselves to them in a moment, to breathe life into them. Reference of life, reference of existence. 
how important that is to human beings. Sanity will probably not be something that we had a somewhat, I say somewhat, somewhat calm grip on if we did not have reference points of existence. I feel like that's probably what we strive for the most in life as human beings at a very core level. This is when us this is us talking about somehow managing the impossible task of infinite possibilities within this universe, yet here we are as these little chimps running around. How could one possibly keep their sanity in all of this? Well we must narrow and margin our perception into boxes, laneways, alleyways of thinking. Go to school, get a job, why pick a fence? Two kids, one dog. Superannuation, 401k. Retire at 65, dead by 80. You know, it's just package condensed life into narrow margins, narrow alleyways. Don't step outside for fear of losing your mind. Not that anyone says that. No one says that you would lose your mind if you were to transcend the current framework of human society and to break free of it. But it's, there's almost an implication of it. There's an unsaid implication that if you don't do what everyone else does, you will lose your mind. Because life's too scary. Life's too much. Love's too scary. To love fully and openly without attachment, that's scary. Because you feel like if you've never known that before, that would hurt more. Wouldn't it hurt more? Wouldn't it hurt more to know a love that has no bounds? is potentially an idea that might go through someone's head who has never known love of our bounds. Because love of our bounds can neither be accepted nor rejected. Love of our bounds is just love of our bounds. That's what really true love is. It was never looking for a grade or a passing mark. It was never looking to be kept. And my friends... In that little dream state experience I opened up this podcast with, do you remember one of the lines? As a tear rolled down her face, and I said, You'll always have a part of me inside of you. Never to keep, but always to hold. For as long as we're in this world together, I'll always be a part of you. Tears continue to stream down her face. And gently, I kissed her delicate lips. The part of that story, never to keep, but always to hold. That's true love. When you visualize that part of the saying, or that part of the dream, never to keep, but always to hold. What you should visualize is an open palm. Never to keep, closed palm. But always to hold, open the palm. Within the open palm, you may hold true love. You can hold true love. Love can rest itself in your open palm without you needing to close it. The moment you close it, it leaves you. Become something else. 
tension, stress, grip, accompany an attachment now in a closed fist. Open that fist, open that palm. Love may rest. Love may rest. To rise above our current state, state of society. If you're feeling as if demons and evil infiltrate your mind from each corner. I don't mean that in a mystical way. I mean that in a very practical way. Just no matter where you look, it's pain. It's infringements on your rights as human beings. It's people who can't seem to operate from a space in which we are talking right now. Almost as if the space we are talking right now is a tiny pocket hidden deep within the ocean. It's always here for you. It's always here for you. I never want you to lose yourself. In pursuit of love, do not lose yourself. For as dark as things may appear outside, the very act of pursuing love, it's meaning. It's meaningful. It's meaningful to you. It's meaningful to me. Countless messages I receive on social media, which I cannot physically respond to, of people who are pursuing the same enlightenment. To just live a life of love, to live a life of light. And as dark as things may get, that's an honorable life. It's an honorable life to pursue life for love, for light. To bring better for everyone else. To improve the experience of human beings. That encapsulates an idea that we all live as free. I was walking the beach the other day. A random man happens across me. I say, how's it going? He goes, how you going, mate? I say, yeah, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? And he goes, look at it. Look at these oceans. Look at these waves. I say, yes, they're so beautiful. And he goes, it's free. Not as in it doesn't cost anything, but it's free. As are the wings of a bird. This ocean is free. And we shook hands and kept walking. And that stayed with me for the rest of the day. I've never heard anyone else describe the ocean as free. Look how free it is. We didn't even discuss politics. That was literally the extent of our context of our conversation. That was the extent of our talking together. Was that, how you going, mate? It's a beautiful day, isn't it? Look at these waves. It's free. Look at how free it is. Whether you're a tire changer at Bob Jane T-Mart's, whether you're a night filler at Woolies, whether you're flipping patties at Mackers, I don't think it's so concerning. I think the way in which that you practice life with love is what is the, of the utmost concern. Sure, I would love for you to be doing that which you love. And if flipping patties at Maccas is not that which you love, to be working each and every day to move towards that, such is the life of a human being. Born into this game, society-enforced game, government-entrapped game, pay taxes, comply. I'll say this now. 
your love should never be suffocated by compliance. I don't care how much someone in wills you to comply at the sacrifice of your love, but that to me is the greatest mistake. To go against what you know love to be in service of what another believes to be compliance. Act from love. Come from love. And you will not lose yourself. For all those that I see now that have lost themselves, and you guys can probably tell right now, we've stepped into a different part of the conversation, which is now we're talking about big love in terms of macro, societal love. Not just one-to-one love now. One-to-many. None of you have to lose yourselves in this journey. But the moment that you stop acting from love, you have lost yourself. The moment that you stop acting from love, you have lost yourself. For if not for love, what kind of world would you want to live in? If not for love, what would life be? Life, if not for love. For each day that you goes by, that you see someone trying to pull you away, turn you against another, force you to see others as less than, have not, unworthy of your love, reject it. Reject all those ideas and push forward your love. Reject forward all ideas that would see you disseminate from love and that you would center upon what you know love to be. It could be as simple as just saying hi to someone, giving someone a hug, someone you don't know, smiling at someone, letting someone in first. Those are small acts of love. Much bigger. To see movements, waves of people that would see love torn down in place of compliance, conformity, darkness. Send them love anyway. Give them your love anyway. Good test, good challenge. Good moment. Right moment for you to practice love. Amazing it has been how many people have forsaken themselves in the last two years. And all I can see is when I say forsaken of themselves, they just lost sight of what love is. It's not much more complicated than that, really. We can overcomplicate it by saying, oh, it's this metric. It's this chief health mandate. It's this health mandate. It's this... uh, it's, it's this official's way of talking, way of painting a certain type of person. It's this message from the mainstream media. It's this person in the mainstream media. Yeah, the list goes on. Point to whatever you will. I believe distractions mostly. Because how is it that for myself throughout the last two years, love has only become more universal, stronger, the light grown so much deeper within me its sustenance never once snuffed out never once found myself in a place left without love in arguably some of the darkest times in the last two years that we have been through since well I don't think we've ever seen global tyranny ever like tyranny on a global scale we've had world wars but you know there was typically two sides to it it wasn't a 95 to 5 or a 90 to 10 split. It was 
at the max, 50-50. But what we've gone through the last two years is not that I believe 90% are to blame for the darkness over the last two years. I believe there is a very small percentage of people who have hijacked those who were asleep, those who were already prone to a fearful message and taking advantage of their good nature, yet sleepy nature as well, sleepy sleepy predisposition to messaging, taking advantage of them and turn them against others, a much smaller percentage. But how is it that the small percentage still exists? It's because of love they still exist, that they have not forsaken themselves. They have not lost themselves. As much as you'll hear of we're at war, psychologically, I'm still not there with it. Still, you're never going to get me to, for the words to come out of my mouth to say that we are at war with other people. That we're at war with the... Uh, I'm trying to keep today as least political as possible. But this is just a big societal example right now. You know, we're not at war with the government. I'm not at war with the government. I'm not at war with the pro-vaxxers. I'm not at war with uh, the pro-mandates and the pro-restriction and the pro-centralization of power into a communist, totalitarian, authoritarian state. I'm not at war with them. They are my own. They're my kind. And through love, I will alchemize them. One by one, step by step, no one gets left behind. Not even for the worst of them. Not even for the darkest of them, which is the worst. Under the sun, we each all have a place. And if you can take that into your now, sliding into micro-relationships. Can you find the sun in another's eyes without holding on to it? Without enforcing its presence in your everyday life? Can you see the moon shining in another person's heart and not have to keep it? forever it's to feel the heartbeat of another human being feel the heartbeat of another human being next time you get near one the next time you get near another person get heart to heart with them feel their heartbeat against yours observe how it feels to understand that this is not yours. This is just a moment in time. We have each other now. And that's all that matters. It comes and it goes. And this too shall pass. We speak a language of love now. But just because you and I are no longer together does not mean that we forget that language. This is what it means to know love, to know true love. Love is a language that you can speak to anyone. And that just because one class comes in today doesn't mean that they're your class for life. There will be another class. There will be another student. There will be another teacher through which the language of love can be expressed, through which the heartbeat of another can be felt again. Until your dying day, Seek to experience this, to cultivate this, feel the hearts of the world, feel the love of the world, 
If you were to spend a life cultivating nothing but love, you would not find a wasted life at the end. Devoid of attachment, devoid of pain, devoid of the need and the suffocation, entrapment, entrenchment to always have that source of love with you. Devoid of all that and abundant in the true love the deep love would not be a wasted life. And that, my friends, is where we're going to wrap this up. You know, I'm used to doing two to four hour sessions with you guys, even six hour sessions if when we do the live sessions. I almost ended this podcast half an hour ago. I think you guys understand what, what today was about. Where today come from, what today's about. Today doesn't need to go any longer. This is as good as it needs to be. And I'm grateful to have you here. If there's even one of you that is going to do something as a result of this podcast, I want to know about it. Drop a comment down below. Send me a DM on Instagram. Actually, that's it's getting a bit hard to get me to get me to respond there just because there's too many messages there. You can try on Instagram, but I'll likely see your emails earlier than that. It's hard for me to respond to all of it because there's so much coming in, but I definitely read through them. But for those of you, I'll say this right now. If you've taken the time to listen to this, email me at adam at boldojo.com or just go to boldojo.com. There's contact forms there. Send me an email. I will have a much better chance of getting back to you there and I'll do my best to get back to every one of you that respond to this particular podcast because this is a uh, this is something important to me. So... So I thank you all, and from the absolute depths of my spirit, from the peaks of my heart, I send you all my love, all the peace, and all the joy. Ja. Thank you very much for diving into today's session. It was great to have you here, and I'd love your feedback. If you want to send me a message on either social media, on Instagram, or on Facebook, or through the website, all the links are down below, that'd be greatly appreciated. And if you would like to help to support the podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link or through boldojo.com. Again, all the links down below. Also, if you're not signed up to the free weekly email newsletter, The Bold Sip, you can do so over at boldojo.com. Just a quick sip of Social Dynamics, a little cheeky article. It's free every single week. Comes out on Fridays, Australian time, and also some other sexy updates from the rest of the universe and any other things that I think you guys need to know about. That will not get censored over on social media. If you'd like to book one-on-one coaching sessions, create action plans, and overcome limiting beliefs to help you move forward in your life across any area of the temple, whether it be purpose, physical, mental, or social development, you can reach all of that through boldojo.com. Send me an email there if you're not quite sure, but you can check out the Bold Coaching Memberships or just once-off sessions. And I look forward to diving deeper with you. You can also pick up the Guided Meditation Eternal Energy on boldojo.com, a nice five-track Eh, we call it an album, but it's actually more of a course, just diving deep into who you are and evolving beyond. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, which is paypal.me forward slash Adam Uwe, A-D-A-M-O-O-I, or also directly on boldojo.com in the Boldojo podcast section. There's a direct link through the website if you want to donate through that as well. And anything that you guys donate is always most appreciated and just goes back to help supporting this show and everything that I'm doing here at The Bowl. So thank you very much. And finally, I wish you all the strength and power as you move forward in this life. 
not only learning how to interact better with other people, but learning how to interact better with yourself. Much peace and much joy.